0: Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 291. It's titled, How to Survive the Coronavirus Shutdown. Last Thursday, LaPrille and I got on a plane and flew to Cincinnati. Our children got on other planes coming from three different locations to also attend the same funeral. I was a bit apprehensive getting on the plane. It was packed with individuals that had been attending spring training, which had just been canceled, and so now they were returning home. The coronavirus pandemic up until then had always seemed a little distant, something that was happening over there in Seattle, Europe, China. The proni had eaten out a few times last week. But then the cancellations started coming in. Colleges closed, churches, restaurants, entire countries locked down. Then cities in the U.S. And yesterday, President Trump encouraged that we don't have gatherings with more than 10 individuals. In Ohio, we went to the grocery store to buy some food for our Airbnb. Many shelves were empty, not just toilet paper but pasta, beans, peanut butter, rice, chicken, Skyline chili. That same day, I received an email from Steve, who's a listener. He wrote, I live in the Seattle area, the epicenter of the coronavirus pandemic in this country. It's fascinating watching the behavior changes occurring locally. Thousands upon thousands of people are working from home. Traffic, especially during rush hour, has disappeared. Restaurants are nearly empty and dozens have closed. Coffee shops like Starbucks are no longer gathering places. Stores have few customers. Schools have closed. Sporting events canceled. People are not spending. Demand is dropping precipitously. People's living, working, and recreational behaviors have changed dramatically and very quickly. Locally, epidemiologists don't think the infection rate will peak until late May or June. That suggests we have close to five to six months to go before the situation stabilizes. Who knows? I wonder if new behaviors will become ingrained over months of enforced change. I don't think we can assume things will return as they were a month ago. Will the pace and scope of online shopping accelerate? Will people adapt to eating out much less often? Will the desire to travel for either business or pleasure rebound? Ours is a consumer driven economy. When this crisis ends, slows down, or stabilizes, presumably businesses will reduce prices to spur demand. Will it be effective? Or will people's consumption habits have changed? Will it lead to deflation? Steve concludes I'm curious as to your thoughts and what we, your listeners and readers, should do. Something changed for me this past weekend. The coronavirus pandemic became real, that it's going to require change on my part and many others. We will have to change our behavior to stop the spread of this virus. What do we do to survive the coronavirus? We avoid ruin and help others avoid ruin. Ruin being dying. having. Are businesses destroyed, going bankrupt, not making it through the next three, six, nine months? We don't know how long it'll be. We have to follow what is known as the precautionary principle. I've discussed it before on the podcast. It's something that Nassim Nicholas Taleb has taught for years. I found an early reference by D. Kribel and his co-authors in a 2001 paper in the Environmental Health Perspectives. They write there are four components to the precautionary principle. One, take preventive action in the face of uncertainty. Preventive action. Two is shift the burden of proof to the proponents of an activity. If someone is recommending something that potentially will cause harm, it's their responsibility to show that it will not cause harm. Three, explore a wide range of alternatives to possible harmful actions. What options are there? Which one is less likely to cause harm or to prevent harm from happening to us? Four, increase public participation in decision-making. As we were gathered with our family in Ohio, we had a family council and talked about what we should do next. 86,000 people outside of China have been infected with COVID-19. The virus is spreading on average 17.8% per day since late February, according to data from the World Health Organization. Yesterday, In their situations report, total infections outside China grew 19%. And that is without data from the U.S., which for whatever reason has stopped sharing data with the World Health Organization. It shows no increases in U.S. infections. And that just isn't true. In 30 days, at a 17.8% daily growth rate, there will be 9.3 million people around the world. Infected with COVID 19. In 60 days, at that growth rate, there will be 1 billion people with COVID 19. What flatten the curve means is to slow the daily growth rate of infection. The growth trajectories of an epidemic are like a normal curve the growth accelerates and then the growth rate starts to slow. We are on the upside of the curve. We want to flatten the curve so the rate of growth isn't 20% a day. How do we do that? We self-isolate, social distancing, staying home as much as possible. It will help you and me avoid ruin, not die, and not inadvertently spread the virus to somebody else. Yesterday, the Wall Street Journal published an article written by Guggen Banerjee and Gregory Zuckerman. It was titled, Why Are Markets So Volatile? It's Not Just the Coronavirus. They introduced Michael Palmata. He's the CEO at Crabble Capital Management. This is an investment firm that uses preset algorithms to make computerized trades. One of the most important inputs is market volatility. Pomada said, we need to cut position size when market volatility pops. It can feel awkward, but we know we're doing the right thing from a risk perspective. That is the precautionary principle. It feels awkward to reduce risk, to sell their holdings. It feels awkward to isolate in your home when no one else appears to be doing it. My daughter's roommates got after her because they thought she was overreacting because the college closed and she's moving out of her apartment. They said, You can make your own decision, not your parents. She said, I did make that decision. We went to the funeral on Saturday. I gave the eulogy. And then the next day, we were going to have another gathering. And I finally, LaPrel asked, What are we doing? Why would we gather again? if we inadvertently got infected with the virus and then we're spreading it on to somebody else. Robert Croce is an investment manager with Mellon Investments. He oversees $1.3 billion in risk parity strategies. He said, it's very clear what I have to do when risk rises. I have to reduce exposure. Exposure is what matters. The way to survive the coronavirus is to reduce your likelihood of exposure and exposing others by staying home. What about your investment portfolio? Yesterday, I reduced risk again in the Money for the Rest of Us Plus models portfolios. That's the second change this month. I hadn't made... A change in those since November 2018. The stock market had fallen 25 to 30%. High yield bonds have gone from a yield of 5% to 9% and have declined 13% year to date. The Vanguard total bond market ETF has been selling at a 5% discount to its net asset value because there are not enough authorized participants willing to trade those bonds to reduce that discount. Gold is selling off. Bitcoin is selling off. Investment managers are reducing their exposure and selling what they can. Those that have taken out margin debt have to pay it back, and so they're selling. In that environment, we need to ask, how will our lifestyle change if stocks from here fall another 30%? and end up being down 65% because the data is pretty clear, at least some of the leading economic indicators, that the U.S. is going to suffer a recession. How deep, we don't know yet. And in a recession, particularly a global recession, stocks fall 45% or more. How would your lifestyle change if your business revenue was cut 50% or if you were laid off for six months? Your job? These are the exposure questions we need to be asking. Rick Ferry, he's a financial advisor and author, tweeted today I'll be 62 years old next week. If I were 30 years old, I would be putting every dime I could possibly afford into stocks. If the market goes down more, I would try to find a way to invest more. If you're 30, You may not believe it's a good strategy. That's the benefit of being 62. The second comment under the post is, but what if it's different this time? We have experienced the fastest stock market drop of these magnitudes down 30% ever. We've not seen anything like this, probably because there's so many quantitative traders. Right now, at times it does feel like 2008 when we see what the Federal Reserve is doing, when you see the empty airplanes, hardly anyone on our flight back to Phoenix yesterday. Rick Ferry is correct for some people, but not for everyone. It frustrates me that I see tweets like it's some badge of honor to be buying stocks right now instead of selling. That selling is a sign of weakness. But as Robert Croce of Mellon said, it's very clear what I have to do when risk rises. I have to reduce exposure. If your retirement is going to be ruined, if the stock market falls another 30%, then sell some stocks. If you have very little investments, And you have money to put to work. Yeah, it's fine if you want to start adding an allocation to stocks because they're cheaper. But there's not one right answer. So it bugs me when people tweet as if this is the only way. It is not. Depends on your circumstances. It depends on the precautionary principle. Take preventive action in the face of uncertainty. And when you take an action, make sure it's not going to cause you undue harm, that it will not lead to ruin. There will be many businesses and individuals that will be financially ruined in this crisis because they did not build a buffer. Six months emergency savings, something to protect them if the economy shut down as it appears to be doing. And if you're facing ruin, Sometimes you have to sell things in order to make it through and to do anything you can to reduce the exposure. At the same time, I got a question from a plus member that says, Well, why not go all to cash if there's risk out there? And I wrote, This is in the member forums going all to cash is certainly a viable option. The challenge with that approach is there's no guarantee that markets will fall further, they could rebound today, and continue. Or they might start to rebound and then fall again. Or an investor might be completely out of stocks and then hesitant to get back in because he or she believes the current rally isn't sustainable or justified. Getting completely out messes with our risk psyche. It's hard to get back in. It's better to have chosen an allocation and realize my allocation could lose 50% in a bear market or 30% or 40%, set it to where you believe you're comfortable. And then if you believe that you'll be impacted severely by deteriorating investment conditions, it's okay to reduce exposure by 10 percentage points, 20 percentage points, or in the case of some of our models, by 30 percentage points. But we're not completely out. At some point, markets fall so much that the portfolio you have is is the one you're going to stay with, and that you are accepting of the losses and look forward to the day that you can take on more risk and take advantage of attractive valuations. That day will come. Things will be cheaper. And if you have capital that hasn't been impaired, then you can take advantage of that. One of the challenges of managing model portfolios is it's not money management, it's not trading advice, it's not even recommendations, it's just examples of portfolios based on current investment conditions. And then whenever you look at a model, or a pattern, or a template, you have to decide, well, how does this apply to me? And should I make any adjustments to how I invest based on the example? That's very different than having a financial advisor that says, you should do this, or you should do this, and I'll do it for you. The beauty of a pattern or a template is we can decide how we want to adapt it to our situation. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. With everything getting more expensive these days, it's wise to find ways to cut costs and boost performance at the same time. You can do that with NetSuite. And by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com david. That's netsuite.com david. netsuite.com david. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. I know in my profession, I've seen how important it is to get quality candidates to interview. And LinkedIn can help you with that. It's not just a job board. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash david. That's linkedin.com slash david to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Back to the precautionary principle. Take preventive action in the face of uncertainty. Shift the burden of proof to the proponents of an activity, as in will this cause others harm? The Federal Reserve, the central bank in the U.S., is acting like this time is different. This is not some seasonal flu. This week, the Federal Reserve slashed their policy rate, the Fed funds rate, by 1%. Now, it's near zero. And they've committed to leave it there until the economy is back on track to achieve maximum employment and 2% inflation. This policy rate was 2.5% last June, 1.5% last month. Now it's zero, and that's what we're earning on savings. They promised to buy at least $500 billion of treasury securities, $200 billion of mortgage-backed securities. Quantitative easing is back. Why is the Fed doing this? They are trying to keep financial markets from seizing up. We're seeing some seizing up when you look at how the bond market is acting. When you see big discounts in price to net asset value for fixed income ETS. And the Fed's seeing this seizing up. And so they're trying to stop it from happening. They admit these actions will not prevent a recession. They're there to help support an economic recovery. That will eventually happen. But there are potentially unintended consequences. They don't have proof that this won't cause harm, but they're trying to act in a preventive way. There was a sobering editorial yesterday in the Wall Street Journal by the editorial board. Now, you may not know, but the Wall Street Journal is a very conservative paper. I read five different newspapers. I like to read conservative papers like the Wall Street Journal and Financial Times, more Liberal papers like the New York Times and the Washington Post. So when I see an editorial by the editorial board that is recommending something that is very different than their philosophical perspective in terms of government intervention, that tells me this time is different. They mention that this idea of flattening the curve is appropriate, which is causing state and federal leaders to shut down the American economy. What worries the Wall Street Journal, and rightfully so, is there doesn't appear to be a plan to finance this to overcome the economic hit. They write, you can't close a modern economy for months or however long it takes to control the virus spread and not have thought about how to keep companies and individuals liquid and solvent. They mention the Federal Reserve is using tools from 2008, but that this isn't a bank solvency panic. At least not yet. This is a liquidity panic. People selling as they worry about how, quote, the U.S. economy will stay afloat while American commerce essentially stops. You can't tell everyone to stay home for eight or 16 weeks except to shop for groceries and expect businesses to resume in July, where they were in March like Rip Van CEOs. The journal continues, the question is, how are they going to stay in business in the interim, lest they shed employees willy-nilly, default on their corporate debt, or go bankrupt? If that happens, the economic damage will be that much more severe and the recovery that much harder and longer to get underway. Now, governments are working on that part of the solution, but it's an additional unknown. The Wall Street Journal recommends the Federal Reserve Lend to companies hit by the shutdown, not just banks and financial institutions like they did in 2008, but retailers, airlines, hotels, transportation and energy companies. This is the Wall Street Journal recommending this. Borrowers would have to provide collateral and prove that they were solvent before the coronavirus hit. But this is different. Now, again, that doesn't mean we panic and sell everything, but we have to take preventive action to make sure we're not ruined, to understand our exposure and the impact on our lifestyle. And that will probably require a family meeting, a company meeting. What will we do? How will we react? I know in our case, we're bringing our daughter home to Phoenix. Our son and daughter-in-law are leaving Seattle, where schools have closed us down and come to Phoenix. My other son is in in lockdown in the Bay Area, not allowed to leave their home at all. How then do we survive that? What else can we do? I learned during the great financial crisis how important it is to take breaks, to just shut down social media, not look at the news. Set aside several hours a day where you're not getting a bombardment of input of bad news. Silence. We need some solitude. Time to meditate, take a walk, away from others, of course. Read a book, enjoy your time together. Make it a time to reflect, to learn new things, new skills. But don't just sit and read tweets about the world falling apart. Now, what can we do to help others avoid ruin, including businesses that we want to support or have supported in the past? Well. We can't stop spending, even if we're locked down at home. We'll have to spend money online with businesses we want to support. Maybe we have to donate to the business owner. Something. We just can't withdraw and expect them to survive. Now, governments are working on programs to certainly help, but we're going to have to be creative to figure out how we can support others so that we continue to get money Flowing through the economy. We're just not sheltered in place, not spending at all. And I I just don't have an answer to that. We're going to have to figure that out as we move forward to be creative, but just recognize we have a responsibility to others to help them avoid ruin, certainly by social distancing during this time of pandemic, but also to figure out a way to spend and contribute, even though. We are stuck at home. That's episode 291. You can get show notes at moneyfortherestofus.com. While you're there, please sign up for my free weekly email. It's called The Insider's Guide. I release it after the episode that week is released. Some of the best writing I do on money and investing in the economy. It's an essay. It just goes to you, along with links to that particular podcast episode. You can sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.